0: And on this week's show, we look ahead to the under-17 FIFA World Cup, with four African countries taking part. More on racism in football as an English FA Cup tie was abandoned as one of the teams walked off amid accusations of racism. We ask how significant this was. And as former Nigeria striker Promise Isaac died early this month at the age of 31 of a suspected heart attack, we highlight how many
1: others have been affected. Is that related death may have come off the pitch for further increased the number of high-profile African footballers who have collapsed and died of heart problems.
0: Plus lots on the UEFA Champions League and the English Premier League as Liverpool play Tottenham on Sunday. Let's start with the CHAN, the African Nations Championship, where the 15 teams that join the host Cameroon in the finals next year have been decided. This is the tournament for home-based players only. Zimbabwe, Uganda and DR Congo all qualified for a fifth time last weekend. The DRC are two-time champions. Togo qualified for the first time, knocking out Nigeria. Also making it are Namibia, Zambia, Rwanda, Tanzania, Burkina Faso, Morocco, Congo-Brazzaville, Tunisia, Guinea, Niger, and mali well as well as nigeria other big names missing out are senegal ghana ivory coast and the 2014 champions libya though it's hard to quantify what is a surprise in the chan really ida as it's so unpredictable
2: well i really couldn't have put it any better myself steve you know unpredictable indeed. And once you do get to thinking about it, you know, and focusing on some of these African footballing giants, if you will, then you end up asking yourself, how can some of them even make it to the Chan if they don't have, technically don't have functional football leagues within their own countries? You look at Nigeria, for example, where the professional football league is on and off almost at a whim. You look at the situation with Ghana, yeah, where there is a normalization committee in the country, that already tells you that not all is well with football in the West African country. But moving away from that and focusing on the Ghanaian second-string side, well, it's not the first time that they're missing out on Chan. They have missed out on uh, the last three editions. And that starts telling you something. It starts telling you that maybe some of these big footballing nations in the continent just don't take Chan as seriously as they would a different tournament, let's say maybe the Nations Cup. And that then, Steve, leads to another debate that's um, been very common, and especially any time the Chan qualifiers are ongoing or any time the Chan is about to begin, about the relevance or the importance of the tournament. So, of course, there are those who fall on either side of the divide. There are those who, you know, say that it has very little to no commercial sense. You know, there are those who say that in line with that, it does take away from the more critical areas of football. You know, for example, development of more age grade competitions within the continent, development of more women's tournaments within Africa. However, if you do ask me, at least on a personal note, I'll tell you this. I think the basis on which uh, Chan was developed or was created was definitely commendable. But I do think that, you know, it's since drifted from what might have been the initial intent. The competition is still on. That's the thing. So whether countries take it seriously or not, there are those who give it a bit more thought and a bit more effort. For example, Uganda, and uh, they will be making their fifth appearance. They played at 4chan uh, tournaments before this, going all the way back to 2011 in Sudan and, you know, bringing it forward to the latest edition, which was the 2018 edition in Morocco. So they've taken part in it because at the end of the day, Steve, this is a tournament that has received full international status from the world governing body. That means that Whether we want to or not, whether we like it or not, it will contribute somewhat towards international rankings. So the question is, if you're going to do something, then why just not do it well?
0: Yes, there certainly is a lot of criticism for the Chan, for the home-based players only. Even among fans here, Zimbabwe's qualification was met with a fairly subdued response as compared to qualification for this year's Africa Cup of Nations. So the fans know that it is a lesser tournament, but at the same time it's there with the intention to give an opportunity to develop domestic football and to market players too. Indeed, many have moved to clubs outside their countries after impressing at the Chan. Let's go to the Under-17 World Cup now. It starts in Brazil on Saturday and runs for three weeks. 24 teams there, four are from Africa. That's five-time champions Nigeria, plus Cameroon and debutants Senegal and Angola. What are your expectations for Africa, Ida?
2: I am expecting at least one African team, Steve, to make it to a runners-up position, at the bare minimum, Yeah, if not better. The reason for this is, unlike the Senior World Cup, we've seen in uh, previous editions that the Under-17 World Cup is one of the few global football tournaments where Africans really shine, you know. So it would be encouraging to see African teams go as far as they possibly could. However, on the flip side, as is normally the case, sadly so, by the way, with uh, African teams, Cameroon are already reportedly really struggling to prepare in Brazil ahead of the tournament due to lack of funding. So you can imagine all the sorts of um, complaints and issues that would come from that. But my eyes actually will really be on uh, Senegal, to be honest. I will want to see how the boys will do on their debut. Just considering how much inspiration the senior men's team has provided over the last bit, I mean, they got to the World Cup in Russia in 2018. They reached the final of the Africa Cup of Nations a year later in Egypt. And then they won the Wafu, uh, that being the second string side, won the Wafu final, you know, after that. So there's lots of inspiration that I will really be keen on seeing whether the young Senegalese boys will be able to leverage on that and be able to replicate at least some form of result, you know. At least on their debut, getting past the group stage would be, you know, a really, really good and positive result. Angola, on the other hand, kudos to them as well um, for their debut. They are in the same group, however, with uh, hosts and clear, clear tournament favourites. Brazil. So, Steve, how they navigate that will be very, very interesting to watch. However, look, I will have to admit that I'm disappointed not to see Mali represent Africa. This coming especially after their performances in 2015, remember that when they uh, finished second as first runners up behind Nigeria, that was a really good year for under-17 football in Africa. And then two years later, they did pretty well close to that where they finished fourth. So it's pretty disappointing to not see them in this particular edition. As for Nigeria, definitely always a point of pride for Africa being the most successful team, you know, in the Under-17 World Cup. However, I will say this, it always is very interesting, you know, to note the transition or, Steve, lack of transition between how Nigeria really dominate, you know, in terms of uh, the junior global football And just that transition, not being able to be replicated on the senior front. So it's always very fascinating, you know. They did fail to qualify last time for the Under-17 World Cup. So can they come back with a bang is the question.
0: Yeah, and uh, the other big question, as you say there, if Nigeria have won five titles at Under-17 World Cup level, how come an African team has never made it beyond the quarterfinals of the Senior World Cup? Thanks, Ida. Uh, Last week we talked about the racist abuse of England players by home fans in Bulgaria in a Euro 2020 qualifier. The game was stopped twice because of racist behaviour, which included Nazi salutes and monkey chants in one of the ugliest episodes of racism in football. Now, last Saturday, an FA Cup tie between two non-league clubs was abandoned after Haringey Borough's manager took his team off the field amid accusations of racism, bottle-throwing and spitting. The homekeeper, Valerie Douglas Pagetat, who's from Cameroon, was reportedly spat at and hit by an object thrown from the Yeovil town end. Two fans were later arrested. Stuart Weir, our European football expert, is with us. Stuart, how significant would you say that this incident was? Let's begin with the facts.
3: Harringay Borough were playing Yeovil Town in the FA Cup. Let me explain the background. The FA Cup final takes place in May each year, but the competition actually starts in August, open to amateur, semi-professional, non-league clubs. This game, between two semi-professional clubs, was in the final qualifying round to get into the competition proper when the teams from Leagues 1 and 2 join. The game would have attracted only a few hundred spectators. After about an hour, Yeovil were awarded a penalty, and some Yeovil supporters tried to distract the Harangay goalkeeper, Douglas Pagetay, who is from Cameroon, by shouting at him, including some racial abuse. A second Harangay player, Kobe Jones, was also racially abused. The referee went to appeal to spectators to stop. But when the racial abuse continued, the Haringey manager, Tom Luzu, took his players off, saying, The abuse my players got was disgusting and, frankly, the FA Cup is not worth that to us. However, the Football Association supported the Haringey players and have ordered the game to be replayed. At the same time, the police have identified two Yeovil supporters and have charged them with incidents. In one sense, this is a relatively low-level game, which, frankly, we wouldn't have taken any notice of but for the racial abuse. But the fact that it occurred just six days after the racial abuse of the England team in Bulgaria has given it added significance. And so does the fact that the Haringey Club decided to take its players off. Some people say this sets a precedent, which others will now follow. There was a view expressed that the England team should simply have walked off in Bulgaria. But then there was the question of how UEFA would view that and would England actually have been punished for not fulfilling the fixture? Well, in this case, this FA Cup tie, the football authorities have supported the club and the players involved. And perhaps that will encourage other clubs to take direct action in future. Steve, the incident is desperately sad. It's a disturbing confirmation that racism has not been eradicated from the English game.
0: Indeed. Uh, thanks a lot, Stuart. It's a Planet Sport Football Africa brought to you by Passion for Sport. Still to come, lots on the English Premier League and the UEFA Champions League as Tanzanias Buana Samata impressed for Genk, although in a losing cause against Liverpool. Well, now in sad news, former Nigeria striker Promise Isaac died earlier this month at the age of 31 of a suspected heart attack. He was playing for U.S. second-tier side Austin Bold. Isaac was captain of the Nigeria side that won a silver medal at the 2008 Beijing Olympics and spent much of his career in Turkey. With more, his Planet Sport Football Africa's Oluwashina Okaleji.
1: His club general manager Roberto Silva said Isaac was working out at the Apamek Complex where the majority of the team leaves when he lay down and was later found unconscious, his heart-related death may have come off the pitch, but it further increased the number of high-profile African footballers who have collapsed and died of heart problems. Nigeria's Samuel Okwaraji in 1989 was the first major unfit casualty in Africa, and a staggering number of Africans, specifically 27, have since joined Okwaraji. This list includes Cameron midfielder mark Vivian Foy in 2003 who collapsed while playing for the indomitable lions at the fifa confederations cup in france and ivorian Sheikh Tioti, in china in 2017. before his sudden death isaac represented his country at all youth level as well as attend a trial at manchester united alongside john michael at the age of 16. he scored both goals as nigeria beat defending champions egypt 2-0 in to win their fifth African Under-20 title back in January 2005. He played a prominent role later that year, as Nigeria's Flying Eagles finished runners-up at the FIFA Under-20 World Cup in the Netherlands. Isaac played in Turkey for the majority of his career. He only joined Austin Bold from the city of Texas at the start of December 2018. Fellow 2008 Olympic Games silver medalist, Peter Odenwinge paid his tribute saying, Another sportsman come too soon. Really sad to hear about the passing of my former teammate Isaac Promise. You were a gentleman, my brother. On 17th September, two weeks before his death, Isaac wrote on Twitter, life without Jesus is crisis. I am a living testimony. Three days later he added that his life is about Jesus or nothing. Survived by his wife Kate and three children, Promise Isaac will be remembered for devotion to family. Faith and football.
0: Our condolences to family of Promise Isaac. That's a Planet Sport football Africa's Olawashina Okaleji. So a shock to hear of Promise Isaac's passing on, Ida, and a shock as well to hear that twenty-seven high-profile African footballers are believed to have collapsed and died of heart problems.
2: It's an incredibly, incredibly sad situation, Steve. And you know, after Sheikh Tito's death. That was back in 2017. There were lots of articles that were written. There was lots of research that was done. All of it gravitating towards one thing. Are African players more susceptible to cardiac problems? That's a very interesting question, Steve, that, of course, goes well beyond us. But in terms of what we do know, and I'm going to get a bit numerical here because FIFA estimates that there are about 265 million people currently playing football in the world in recognized teams. Now, it says that around 17% of those are currently playing in Africa. And as you've said there, some of these sources might not be the best for information. However, I do believe we can use them as a benchmark. And when we look at the last 10 years, Over 60 deaths have happened in terms of football players. And of these 60 deaths, 25 plus have been attributed to Africans. So it's very, very interesting, Steve, that while Africans, as per FIFA, make up 17 percent of the world's footballers, that they account for nearly 40 percent of the known deaths so far. I'm gonna let that one sink in because it was it was quite something, you know. And while you know biology might not be on our side, I do believe that there are some situations that make it worse. Heart screening, for example, is much rarer in uh, poorer African countries that don't necessarily have that sort of infrastructure. But therein lies the problem, Steve. And I'm not saying this is the only contributing factor, just one of, you know, some of these situations and conditions within the players are not necessarily going to get picked up if a player is, you know, plying his trade within the continent. Let's look at Nigerian legend Nwanko Kanu, for example. Kanu only actually got to know of his cardiac problem while he was playing at Inter Milan. And it's because in Italy, screening is mandatory. For all young people that are engaged in organized sport. But for the players back in Africa, Steve, how many are really going to get that level of opportunity, you know, or that sort of infrastructure to be able to take care of them? But to his credit, uh, with the likes of Kanu, he did set up the Kanu heart Foundation to be able to do something about it. But going back to the case of um, Promise Isaac, once again, incredibly sad and heartfelt condolences to his family and his friends. May he rest in perfect peace.
0: Thanks, Ida. And to add on to this one, Ghana striker Rafael Duamena, who plays for Spanish club Zaragoza, had an unknown heart problem detected during a routine medical check a couple of weeks ago. The 24-year-old has been ruled out of action indefinitely for the Spanish second-tier side. Investigations carried out by Ghana, SoccerNet.com reveal that doctors were alerted to the potential problems because of the extreme fatigue that he suffers at the end of matches. This is the second time that Duemena has faced serious health problems with English side Brighton pulling out of a deal to sign the striker from FC Zurich because the striker failed a medical two years ago. Well, This is Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport. You can download our app and listen to the show any time, and also access past programmes in our archive. To download, go to the Play Store or the Apple iTunes App Store and enter Planet Sport Football Africa. You can also listen to the show on our new look website, planetsport.tv. Our other shows are there too. That's Planet Sport and the Planet Sport Rugby podcast, plus interviews with various sports stars, including Ghana's Christian Atchu That's on our new look website, planetsport.tv. Let's go to the UEFA Champions League now, and lots of goals scored in the latest round of group games and some good performances from African players. With more, here, Stuart. Well, Steve, it was a remarkable Champions League midweek with four English clubs
3: playing and all of them winning and winning comfortably. Manchester City beat Atalanta of Italy 5-1. Tottenham also scored five against Red Star Belgrade. Chelsea won away to Ajax Amsterdam in Netherlands and Liverpool had a 4-1 away win against Genk in Belgium. Great to see Mo Salah Back for Liverpool and scoring. Sadio Mane also scored. And two goals for Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, the English international who's in his third season at Liverpool but has been injured for most of the last two years. And he will be such an asset to the Liverpool team. Now we cater, yet to start a Premier League game this season, played in the Champions League game. And good to see Riyad Mahrez playing a full game for Manchester City and, similarly, Serge Aurier for Tottenham. And now I, I need to tell you that playing against Liverpool was Ali Samata, who is the first Tanzanian ever to play in the Champions League. And, incidentally, Genk's goal was scored by Stephen Odey, a 21-year-old Nigerian. So, Africans, wherever you look. There were also wins for Barcelona, Real Madrid, Inter Milan, Juventus, Paris Saint-Germain and Bayern Munich. So all the big guns doing well. But when we focus now on the coming weekend fixtures, Tottenham will go to Liverpool feeling a lot happier about themselves after scoring five goals in midweek. And similarly, Liverpool, who've struggled away in the Champions League, and Again, they will be happy to have scored four goals away. And so it really sets up the coming weekend beautifully.
0: Yes, so Liverpool play Tottenham on Sunday in this weekend's big game, as you say, with Manchester United having ended Liverpool's 17-match winning run in the Premier League with that 1-1 draw at Old Trafford last weekend. So the lead has now been reduced to six points over Manchester City. Does this change the picture, Stuart? I think it
3: was inevitable that Liverpool's 17-match run would come to an end. And they're still left with a six-point lead over Manchester City, which is quite substantial. What may be of some concern is that Liverpool were really poor last Sunday and could easily have lost the game. I think it's imperative that Liverpool put in a good performance against Tottenham on Sunday. And remember that with a Champions League game midweek, that will be their third game in eight days. Incidentally, Steve, there was a bit of kidology going on about team selection last weekend. You announced on last week's programme that David De Gea would not play because of injury, just exactly what Manchester United wanted everyone to believe. But in fact, De Gea recovered from the injury and was in the team. Liverpool took this a stage further by actually hanging up Mo Salah's shirt in the changing room, inviting TV cameras in to film it, when in fact he was injured with no possibility of playing. Everyone trying to get the slightest
0: psychological advantage, I suppose. Uh, some gamesmanship there and uh, Stuart, the VAR is continuing to be such a talking point Uh, for example in the Manchester United-Liverpool game and in the Tottenham-Watford match and I'm noticing that when a goal is conceded often the players are now going to the referee to ask for a review and it continues to affect the way that we follow the games uh, with these delays and uh, maybe Stuart we're starting to react differently when a goal is scored now It was a busy weekend
3: for VAR And let's not debate all the individual incidents, but I'd like to draw out a few important principles. There were two big decisions in the Man U Liverpool game. Both of them turned out in favour of United. Manchester United's goal was referred to VAR for a possible foul, but the incident occurred seven seconds previously and 70 metres away from where Rashford scored. For me, this raises the issue of how far do we actually go back and in any case referee martin atkinson had a good view of the incident and had decided not to give a free kick of course as var currently operates we don't know what the conversation was between atkinson one of our most experienced referees and the var officials most people thought it had been a foul but not a clear and obvious error and it was also said by some people that if atkinson had just gone to look at the incident on the pitch side monitor, it might have been easier to accept his decision. The other incident involved Sadio Mane putting the ball in the net for Liverpool, but the ball had bounced up against his arm as he controlled it. It was clearly accidental handball, but under the new protocol, any contact with the arm which benefits a forward who then scores is deemed to be handball and is penalised. The nonsense as we have said before is that had the ball bounced against a Manchester United defender in the same way that would not have been handball so how can the same contact between ball and arm be handball if it's a forward but not if it's a defender nonsense but that is the current FIFA protocol introduced at the beginning of this season going back to the Liverpool game for a moment Liverpool were behind for 49 minutes, and incredibly, it's over a year since Liverpool have been losing in a Premier League game for as long as that. Poor old Raul Jimenez, who had the ball in the net three times for Wolves against Southampton, only for VAR to disallow two of them, and Watford were denied what seemed a nailed-on penalty against Tottenham and Burnley denied an equaliser against Leicester when their goal was ruled out. On that one, the normally reasonable and level-headed Burnley manager Sean Dyche again raised the issue of why did the referee not take the opportunity to have a second look on the monitor to confirm his decision or otherwise. Steve, I think we all agree that VAR is great when it gets a big decision right but we're really struggling with the process. As you say, you often see players surrounding the referee asking him to consult VAR. I'm sure I recall that during the last World Cup, players and coaches were instructed not to do that. And actually, talking about the Manchester United-Liverpool incidents, former Liverpool and England player Danny Murphy said that he would take the decision away from the referee and allow VAR to make the final decision and overrule the ref. If necessary, While that would stop players haranguing the referee, I really don't like it because it seems to undermine the referee's authority. And the other thing about VAR, which we've mentioned several times, is how it has just taken away that spontaneous moment of celebration when your team scores because you don't actually know if your team has scored or if VAR is going to rule it out.
0: And that to me, that uh, spontaneous celebration is priceless and it'll be a shame if we lose that from the game. Well, let's go back briefly to this weekend's games. Uh, Manchester City hosting Aston Villa on Saturday, a day before the Liverpool-Tottenham game. So could be a chance for Manchester City to close in on Liverpool, maybe. The timing just
3: gives City an edge. And an opportunity to put some pressure on Liverpool, because if they win on Saturday, they will only be three points behind Liverpool. Of course, Liverpool with the game in hand. But for the first time this season, perhaps, it'll give the impression of Manchester City breathing down Liverpool's neck. But of course, pressure can work both ways. And if Leicester City beat Southampton on Friday night, they will actually be ahead of Man City when City kick off on Saturday. Sheffield United pulled off a surprise 1-0 win over Arsenal on Monday evening. The expected Arsenal win would have put them third in the table, but it just shows that there are no easy games in the Premier League and Sheffield United, newly promoted and before the game in the relegation zone,
0: picked up three valuable points great result for them and Sheffield United away to West Ham on Saturday also on Saturday Chelsea after their Champions League win midweek play away to Burnley Uh, Sunday's games include Arsenal, Crystal Palace in a London derby Manchester United are away to Norwich and the FIFA under-17 World Cup starting on Saturday unusually there are two opening games at the same time the host Brazil playing Canada in the capital Brasilia at the same time Nigeria take on Hungary in Ogoi later on on the same day Angola take on New Zealand. Uh, they're in the same group as Brazil. Uh, Nigeria have Ecuador and Australia in their group. Senegal kick off their campaign on Sunday against the USA. Tough group with Japan and the Netherlands as well, but Ida, we heard there, is hopeful of their chances. And Cameroon start on Monday against Tajikistan. Difficult group with Spain and Argentina in that group, uh, but uh, four of the best third-place teams will go through to the round of 16. Well, that's it for this week's show. So from me, Steve Vickers in Harare, from Ida Waringa in Nairobi, and from Stuart Weir in the UK, thanks a lot for listening. And Planet Sport Football Africa is a passion for sport production.